Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett, and I am here today with a very special guest, Shelly Smart. How are you doing, Shelly? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having this conversation. It's no. important and needed. Thank you for being here um, and sharing your story and talking with me. Uh, before we launch into our conversation, I know that there's a trigger warning on the intro to this show, but I would just like to reiterate this episode. Um, we are going to be discussing uh, suicide. September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, and we are discussing that today. Suicide is something that affects or can affect all people, not just autistic people, even though it is the second leading cause of death among autistic people. Um, And uh, sadly, today our guest Shelly has a personal connection with the topic. Uh, Her son Evan took his life a few years ago. Um, And uh, she's here today to talk to us about that. First off, um, we can start wherever you want to start, but would you like to tell us? I want to know more about your son. Well, if you give me that opportunity on question (laughs) one, that'll take up the entire conversation. Um, Evan was 18 years old and two months when he left us by suicide. And, you know, that's a a hard conversation to have, and that's, um, those are hard words to say. And it's really strange because he left, but he's not lost. Um, how do you say that? You know, what, what words do you say? So I think the conventional wording now is died by suicide. And that took me a long time to say. Um, we are 44 months out. And yes, I count the months. Um, the end of every month, I know that we've moved, we've moved forward a month, which means that we're still here and we've survived that month and that day. Um, but it took me a long time to say died or dead or used those words. Um, Evan was diagnosed with um, Asperger's when he was three years old. And he was just a very old soul. Um, he loved old music. He loved old memories, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Frank Sinatra, Elvis. Okay. But he also loved... Brittany and Whitney and Lana Del Rey and Guns N' Roses and, and, you know, we would break out in spontaneous dance parties in the kitchen and um, he just, he was an old soul. He was very um, empathetic and intuitive and um, loved. I think his his specialty was was buildings and tall buildings and he loved architecture and 
his room was full of these Lego architecture sets and we would drive. Um, we never really liked to fly. Um, Evan was a wanderer when he was younger, so if we were in an airport, he would take off. So we always traveled by car mm -hmm. and we would be driving through some big city and he would say, oh, there's such and such building and give us all the facts and figures about that building. No matter what state we were in or whatever, that was his thing. So um, buildings, buildings were his thing and his specialty. And um, Okay, I gotta stop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Um, uh, can we talk about your um, your son? Um, uh, now I don't know what to call it. Um, taking his own life or dying? Um, uh, can we uh, talk about that, <clears throat> sir? Um, Evan was a senior in high school, and he had just been accepted into the University of Oklahoma, and um, he had had some, some challenges along the way, and um, as he aged, we kind of recognized that there was some changes in him, and we couldn't quite put our hands on it and put our finger on it, but my theory is, um, Growing into adulthood um, was hard on him. It, it was it was difficult for him. Um, the world was not a kind place. And when I think back about Evan, that's the word that comes to mind is kind. He always was kind to everybody and wanted people to be kind to him and just eluded kindness. Um, and I think the more he aged into the world, there was a fear there of growing into the world and going into the world. Um, but of course, you never know. That's something with suicide. You never know the why. Um, and somewhere along the way, probably two or three months into it, after Evan had died, um, somebody had told me, when you get to the point of quit asking why, the healing can start. And I thought that seemed so simple, but it was true. Um, the why didn't matter because the why would do nothing bring him back. Um, so we worked from there on the why is no longer important, but how do we go from here? How do we, how do we continue Evan's legacy on kindness and how do we continue Evan's story? Um, when people die, no matter how they die or their cause of death, um, their story seems to come to an end. But in my mind, when you die by suicide, there's so much of a loss of potential of what that person could have been. And I know in my heart that Evan would have done great things. Um, I don't know what specifically, but I know that he would have affected change on the world in some way. So now he still gets to do that, but it's through me telling his story. And hopefully somebody takes just a nugget of it and is able to... Um, learn that perfect is not a word that we should have in our vocabulary and um, changing standards and beliefs and um, ending stigma is, is something that needs to happen. 100%. Um, <clears throat> oh, gosh, sorry, I'm anxious. Um, so I know we talked a little bit before the camera started rolling, but the ripple effect of um, your son's death, 
Would you mind maybe, you know, uh, discussing that a little bit? I, you know, your husband, your other children, um, however you'd like to discuss it. Um, suicide affects everybody differently. Um, my husband and I had the same parental relationship with Evan, so you would think, you know, we, we had the same um, home environment. Evan had the same relationship as a child as my other children do, but yet it affected us all very differently. Um, I'm the one that wants to be loud and shout it from the rooftops. Um, and that's because I want to bring attention to it. And I think, oh, by being loud and talking about it, it's not going to go away. I'm going to keep it in front of, uh, in the forefront of my mind and in front of people so they understand about it. Because you never know when it could happen to you or you or your family or friends could be affected by it. My husband, not so much. He wanted to be a little bit more quiet about it and a little bit more subdued in his approach to it. Um, and then it affected my children differently. My son is very quiet and reserved about his feelings about it. Um, and my daughter is kind of like me. She wants to talk about it and, and spread awareness. Um, it's just like grief. It, it affects everybody differently and people choose to deal with it differently. I went out and got my certification as a peer grief educator and I started a suicide support group for other family and friends that had lost people by suicide. There's that lost word again. I know where they are. They're not lost. Um, and so I did that for a while and um, you know, I, I feel like I'm constantly trying to reinvent myself, but just to keep the wheel spinning and just to keep the conversation going. Um, and I think the statistic is for every suicide, it affects 135 people. So that's a huge ripple. Evan was one person, but his death affected in upwards of 135 people, where they had been his classmates, the people that he worked with at the grocery store, his family members, um, you know, his teaching staff, um, people that he saw every day. Um, There's that many people affected by one death. And if you think about that, and if you think in upwards of 50,000 people a year are lost in the United States, that's a lot of people. It's like 85% of people know somebody that has died by suicide. So the conversation needs to be had. People don't like coming up to you as a survivor of um, suicide loss and bringing up your loved one's name. But we think about that person all the time. So at least with me, I want to be talked about. I want to be asked about Evan. Um, I want to keep his name forefront in the conversation. So and that's, that's a big thing I always say. Ask people about their loved one. Speak their names. Remember their birth date. Remember the day they died. Um, I think that's important. I, yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I have a friend, or I say have, I, I had a friend, um, when he was 20, he uh, killed himself. And um, August 28th, I, you know, but not just August 28th, I think about, and this was, <clears throat> God, this was like 15 years ago now. Um, but uh, I keep this picture. I think about him often. I, um, it, you know, it's funny, you you mentioned the lost thing because you yeah, you do lose something. They're not lost, but you do lose the um, mm -hmm. ability to, you know, <clears throat> physically reach out and yeah. touch the person and <clears throat> all of those things. Um, 
because I know that this part of it is different as well, even though there's a lot of statistics. Did it, Evans, and don't have an answer if you don't want to, obviously, but was his behavior, did, like, did it change right up before then? Or, like, was he just, like, keeping it? Or I know, obviously, he kept it to himself. The, um, the last month, we noticed... Um, he was a little bit more agitated and a little different with his happy demeanor. And we just thought, oh, it's, you know, school's getting ready to shut down for the holidays. He's worried about finals. He's going through the whole college application process. He's going to be going to school. Um, Evan did not get his driver's license until he was 18, and he had just turned 18. So that put a little extra pressure on him. He was new to driving. He had a job, a part-time job. And we just put it you know, we just said that was what was going on. There was just a lot going on in his life. We didn't think anything else about it. And then we've since found out that he was giving away things. He, he loved music, like I said, and he gave away a record player. Um, we think now that he gave away a PlayStation or one of his gaming systems. He loved gaming, too. And, you know, my kids often say, well, we want to play this game. Well, we can't find it anywhere and we assume that it was probably a last gift from Evan to somebody that he gave it away. Um, <clears throat> you also talked, we had a conversation while we were getting the camera set up. Uh, you, <clears throat> you said it changes your um, thought process on like God and things like that. So going back again to like you, you know, they're not lost, but do you believe that he's always up? Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that? 100%, 100% he's always with me. We've lost the physicality. Evan was great at hugs. I would say Evan was known for his kindness, his great hair, his hugs, and his flip-flops. That was my kid in a nutshell. <laughs> And his hug could always right or wrong, as far as I was concerned. And I miss that part. I miss the physicality and the physical touch. But 100%, he's still with me. And, you know, there's always these angel numbers, these feathers, whatever the signs people yeah. say. But I can go into a place and specifically ask for something specific, and it delivers. Um, he delivers. Um, you know, I, I think when you lose a child specifically, and maybe specifically to, to suicide, I don't know, I can't speak to other deaths, um, but you reach out to other ways. You reach out in other spiritual realms and ways that you can connect. And, of course, you always want to believe that, that there's something else there. Um, but I, I don't think it's voodoo or anything like that. I truly yeah. believe that that he's there and he's with me. And um, he's kind of a, I wouldn't even say a guardian angel. He's kind of a guiding force to um, continue his story. And that's what I look at it is, is I'm here to continue his story and to educate others and still make good in the world. Yeah, which you have done. Um, you have become a very inspiring advocate for suicide awareness and prevention. Um, and I know you said you became a certified uh, grief peer counselor. 
What are some of the things that you uh, do to help parents and uh, family members uh, with experience? Um, well, when I was leading the, the grief group, we would have a grief group every other week and families would come in and we talk. And I've talked to sometimes, it's like once you lose somebody to suicide, you become known as the suicide person amongst your friend group. Um, which I don't mind. I don't mind wearing that hat if it helps somebody. But anytime um, somebody within your friend group knows somebody that's had a loss, they tend to reach out. And then I, you know, I talk to those people. I've had conversations. I've shown up at people's houses. I've had texting conversations. Um, I think the important thing is, is that these, what I call um, suicide loss survivors, we are not suicide survivors because we did not attempt to take our lives ourselves, but we survived the loss of someone we love to suicide. But I think the important thing to take away is that um, they know that there is a community of people that have shared living experiences and that perhaps that can give them hope and healing as they progress forward. In the early days of a loss, I mean, and I say early days, that's going to be um, defined differently for everybody. But you know, sometimes it's good for you to just get your head off the pillow, and some days you can't even do that. So I think having somebody that you can connect with, even if it's not on my time frame, but on their time frame, having somebody in their hip pocket that they can call at any hour of the night or text and just know that we're there. We don't have to have conversations. It's just having somebody sit with you in that space and listen know that we have gone through it too and I am a very visual person and I look at suicide recovery like um, kind of like a mountain you have your peaks and your valleys and there's no way to get to the other side you have to go through it to get to the outside of it and and that path and journey is different for all of us with the exception that there's a starting point a midpoint and an end point and you've got to you know, make your way out of it. And as a survivor, when we talk to other people, we can say what worked for us. That might not be what works for you. Um, but collectively, when you get a lot of people in a group, um, you start to see, you know, trends that opening up and talking about it and um, doing something to memorialize your loved ones are always helpful ways. Yeah. Um, you, uh, can you talk a bit more about, or sorry, uh, gosh, my, uh, my brain is just frying right now. Um, state law, Senate bill 21, Sure. it passed in 21, 2021, and it now requires teachers and school staff to have suicide prevention and awareness training, right. um, for people who may not have any idea what that bill is. Can you just talk about it from a few different angles? What is it? How did it come to be? Why do these, I mean, obviously teachers need it, but like, wow. The importance of it, sure. Yes. Um, you know, if I were to reflect on how I got involved with it, I'm not really sure. Evan um, took his life on New Year's Eve of 2019. Um, and then, of course, months later, we went into COVID. And when the world shut down, 
um, I was looking for something to do and I started reaching out to legislatures and people to try to make a difference on how we can make a difference. And somehow I was connected to Senator Kay Floyd and she is the one that authored the bill and got it started. And once again, until you know, you don't know. Um, but as a parent with children in Oklahoma public schools, I just assumed that teachers had to have some kind of mandatory training and they didn't. It was always, um, you should have this training, but it was never mandated. So that's what Senate Bill 21 did, is it mandated training every other year for not just teachers, but for all school um, administrators and school personnel. And the reason that's important is because maybe the bus driver overhears a conversation with a kid in the bus. Maybe the lady that is serving them lunch has made a real relationship with a particular kid that's lonely in the lunchroom and she might recognize something. So it was really important to us to bring the component in of not just the teachers that are with the kids every day, but the other school personnel that had the opportunity. Maybe it's a coach in the locker room that sees something, but to educate them and to train them on some of the signs and symptoms and things to look for. Um, so that's one component of it. And then the other component was actually bringing a curriculum into the schools for students. Again, it's something that you would think would be part of a health class, um, but again, it wasn't required. It was up to each individual school district to say if they wanted to teach that as a part of the curriculum or not. Um, so now it starts in seventh grade, and my understanding of it is it switches. One year it's school staff personnel, the next year it's students, and it kind of goes back and forth every year. And um, I was with Evan when he chose to take his own life. And I always said, I want, I couldn't save him, but I want to save somebody else. Just, just one somebody. And last year I was at a two day training for suicide prevention. And there was a lot of educators there from within the state. And I got up and I was sharing Evan's story and, and my story. And I said, I just want to find that one person. And teacher raised her hand and said a name. Tell me more. What is the name? And she said, that person was saved. That student was saved because of Senate Bill 21. She said, we had all um, just undergone training and we recognized some things going on with the student and we notified the, the appropriate people. And later we found out that that student had a plan to go home after school that day and in their life. And knowing the name of that one student, that was the one person that I needed. I couldn't save Evan, but I saved that one kid. And they get to go home to their parents. And their parents get to have their kid come home to them. So, uh, you know, education is a, is a really important component of this. And I don't think it needs to stop at schools. Um, I think there needs to be community mental health days where people talk about it and people hear about it. And people don't want to talk about suicide. I mean, who, who would um, if you weren't touched by it? I don't think it's a conversation I would naturally gravitate to. 
but it's something that needs to be talked about. You can't break the stigma. You can't end the trends until you can get a hold of what the root is. Um, and, you know, again, I'm vocal. I shout it from the rooftops. I'll talk to anybody about it. I can put you in contact with resources. I never claim to be an expert other than that I was a mom that loved their kid. Um, I'm an expert in that. I love all of my kids. And I, I know I at least have resources that I can give people. Maybe I can't offer them nothing else but a resource or letting them know that they matter. If there's somebody that's in crisis, call 988. Uh, find somebody that will tell you that you matter because um, in my mind, I think it's a five-minute impulsive decision. If, if Evan could have had five more minutes, it might not have happened at all or it might not have just happened then. Um, but there needs to be more conversation on it. And, you know, forgive me if this is the wrong question to ask, but is there something that inspired your desire to make sure the public education system was trained? Um, when Evan was alive, um, we always advocated for Evan. He was on the spectrum and... When he went into, I guess it was sixth grade in middle school, he was a chewer and he was anxious. So we went out and we started a company here in the States that um, sold products for special needs kids, for sensory integrated kids. And we always tried to advocate for him. Um, we felt like he needed that, that extra care and advocacy. And when he died, that kind of went away. We lost that business. We said, we don't want to do this anymore. It's not working out for us. So it was like, what, what torch could I pick up now? And I wanted to advocate for suicide loss because I thought, again, somebody needed to be loud and somebody needed to talk about it and show the available resources. Um, there were numerous kids within Evans School District that died that same year. Um, and I'm certain that probably all of their parents thought the same thing we thought, that schools were required to um, train their personnel to have a curriculum that touched on suicide for their students, that required school staff to um, communicate concerns to parents. And come to find out it didn't work. And it didn't not just work for our family, but it worked for numerous families. It didn't work for numerous families in that district. So that was that was a piece of it. Um, and then I, at that point, I still had two other kids in Oklahoma yeah. schools. So something needed to change. Yeah. No, I, I you know teachers when they're your kids in school, they're spending. It's like when you grow up and you become an adult and you have a job and you spend like the majority of mm -hmm. your week at your job. When you're in school, you're spending the majority yeah. of your free time. At school. And if they have extracurriculars or if they're staying for tutoring or yeah. all of these things, some kids see schools as just a social opportunity to stay and they're spending so much time there. Um, and teachers are overstressed, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Teachers have so much to do. Um, 
but it's not specifically doing as it is just watching and being in tune with and, and knowing the signs and looking out. Yeah. Um, you probably saved uh, and will continue to save uh, lives um, because of that. Um, yeah. Uh, God, I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Speaking of that, you know, that's Evan saved lives. He was um, an organ donor. And I said earlier that he didn't get his driver's license until right before he turned 18. And he was always like, oh, driving is scary. I don't want to drive. And <laughs> I remember he took his first driving um, class and he came running home and ran upstairs and was all upset and very anxious. He said, I don't ever want to get in a car again. They made me go 40 miles an hour on the street. I don't ever want to do that again. So we waited a little bit and he got his driver's license. And when he did, he marked on there to be an organ donor. And that was in August, so we're talking like four or five months before. And sometimes my why mind wants to go back and say, did, did he know something then? Or was it just coincidental because Evan was a kind kid and he was a giver? Is that, is that why he did it? That's where my mind's going to set, is that's why he did it. And that he ended up giving sight to, to two people and saving four people by donating eight of his organs. Um, and because I was with him when... He passed away. I was on the phone with 911. They were able to get there immediately, and he spent two days in ICU. Um, so they were able to reach out and find people. Um, and we have since got to go on and meet some of these people, and you know they're they're wonderful people. Um, but it it made me happy, and it made my family happy that Evan was able to continue his kindness and his giving spirit in that way. And I have to, to chuckle. Um, sports was not Evan's thing. I said tall buildings <laughs> and Legos were Evan's thing, yeah. but Evan could have cared less about sports. And probably about a year after he passed away, we got this letter from somebody. And Evan, I guess, got his non-love of sports from me because I didn't really recognize who the person was. Um, but he was a... Super Bowl, he had won the Super Bowl. So what's that make him? A Super Bowl winner? I think twice. <laughs> okay. Um, and he had had a career-ending injury. And he got, not, not only did Evan donate his organs, but he went on to donate um, tendons and tissue as well. So we got all these letters that he um helped women that had had mastectomies. He helped kids that had had sports injuries. But we get this letter from this famous person that um, <laughs> he got one of Evan's tendons and was able to run again. And so one day I'm like, OK, that's, that's great. I, I looked up the guy's name, and I'm like, wow, that's who that is? That's yeah. pretty crazy. And then one day I was watching SportsCenter, and this guy's running up and down the court or the field or whatever it was. <laughs> That's my kid's tendon there. <laughs> and Evan's on Sports Center, you know, and it, and it goes back to do I believe he's still with me? I believe he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, he's everywhere, and he's obviously with that guy um, running up and down the court on Sports Center. And it just made me chuckle and I laugh whenever I think about that because if he were to be here now and I would say something about Sports Center, he'd be like, what's that? You know? <laughs> but how many people would 
love to say that they were on Sports Center, and here my kid was on Sports Center in some way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, man, that's. I don't know. That's the, the power of Evan. Yeah. Evan would evoke emotion <laughs> from anybody. Um, I mean, he would evoke emotion and he would give emotion. Like I said, he was very intuitive and very empathic. One time we were cleaning out the garage, getting ready to get our Christmas decorations out. And I was cleaning out the garage and had the garage door open and this little tiny baby mouse jumped out. And I took it, my broom and hit it because it scared me and because I don't like mice and we lived in the country. Yeah. The mice died and Evan was so distraught and so um, very inconsolable because that's not, that was not something he felt good about. He loved animals. He was volunteering at the Edmond Animal Shelter when he died. And two days before, he had been at work volunteering. And there was this little chihuahua, I think is how the story goes. And he was, he came home crying in tears that this chihuahua was not going to get rehomed. And they were going to have to put down this chihuahua. And um, he was so very sad for this chihuahua. Well, after he died, the nice people from the Edmund Animal Shelter came to his funeral, and I said, I have to ask about this dog. You know, <laughs> it was really important to Evan. And they said, oh, the dog's great. The dog's been, the dog's been um, adopted, and the dog is doing great. But that was Evan. I mean, it was animals. Um, he worked for the Arbor, he volunteered for the Arbor Society and always wanted to, you know, plant trees and help the planet. And... Um, the week before he died, he took a bunch of Jenga blocks and made Christmas tree ornaments for all of his friends and painted them. And he just wanted to bring light and laughter and happiness to people. Um, so it's really a clash in my mind to say, how can somebody that was this focused on happiness die of suicide? But I think that brings up the conversation that you never know. You can't look at somebody and know what what they're thinking. Um, I have a picture of Evan that I took, again, two days. It was that same Sunday that he came home from the animal shelter. And he was filling out college applications, and he needed a, a picture. And Evan loved vintage clothes, vintage records, anything old school. And I grabbed an old sweater out of his dad's closet and threw it at him and said, put this on. I'm going to take a picture for your college application. And he was smiling from ear to ear and just as happy as he could be. And two days later, he died um, by suicide. He killed himself. Um, so it's important to be educated on the, the signs and to know and to keep track of your people and you know, there's, there's stigmas and myths out there. Suicide is not a seasonal um, epidemic. Um, of course, there's a lot of people that might suffer from a, a seasonal affective disorder or something. So you will see as the days get shorter and it's darker. Um, but I think there's also just as many probably people that choose to end their lives um, at other times. You just never know what somebody's thinking. So if you can affect kindness and be kind to people, um, it could save them to be here another day. 
I don't know that anybody's ever died from a kindness overload, <laughs> but maybe they have died because somebody wasn't kind to them. 100%. And I think one reason uh, I'm so grateful you're sharing your story and me personally, my opinion is that we're living in such an unkind society that is getting more and more unkind. Um, me personally, I, in college, every time I got to pick a topic to write about, I decided to choose the adverse effects of the internet on um, developing minds because um, the internet, social media uh, mm -hmm. explicitly has done a lot more harm than it does good, in my opinion. I know that social media is great and this is on social media and that's how we're spreading the awareness of this podcast. But also when you look at statistics, especially in adolescent minds, uh, since the introduction of Instagram, uh, suicide rates in um, young women and men have gone up over 50%. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Um, Online bullying, I mean, bullying has existed forever, right? Yeah, uh, I was bullied mercilessly um, because I, I was autistic, I think is one factor, but um, the statistics on online bullying, the statistics of suicide in general and young people since the dawn of social media has just gotten um, worse. And just society as a whole is very stressful. I mean, the pandemic itself also. And so I think the message you're trying to spread is really important because a compliment can go a long way. Absolutely. You have absolutely no idea what someone else is going through, as you very well know. And the message you're trying to spread of just being kind and open, no one has ever died of a kindness overdose. Um, God, Lord. <laughs> but you're right. You're, you know, you... Um, I say these kids on social media. I'm on social media too. Yeah, yeah but I, I have the executive functioning at this point, and I do not have the young developing mind. Um, and I think I have some coping strategies, even though I don't always quickly go to them to cope with something. I mean, nobody's perfect. I, I, I like to say that I wake up every day and screw up, screw up perfect. But um, Younger folks that are on social media, I think the comparison, there's so much comparison as to how I look and or feel and or speak and or acclaim and or do in comparison with all of these other people. When in reality, hell, let's talk about how easy it is to fake something on social media. Yes. But they don't think that way. They don't have that executive functioning yet to talk about and to understand that, you know, there are people that. Um, aren't even who they say they are. Yes. And that's a whole other scary topic mm -hmm. out there on predatory folks on social media. But back in my day, you went to school, you got bullied, you came home, you closed the door, and you were safe in your home. Yeah. Now it follows you anywhere. And when you're up at 2 or 3 in the morning and you're anxious and scared and stressed and trying to feel, find out how you're going to run away from the bully, guess what? You have this thing in your hand and the bully's right there on it. You can't get away from it. Um, so there's another campaign that could be talked about. There's, yeah. there's so many things that could be talked about. Um, and I'm not the person to say that this is the right or the wrong way to do it. I'm just here to say um, it can happen to you. doesn't necessarily mean it will happen to you. Just because you know somebody that's lost somebody to suicide, if you touch them, you're not going to catch it. Um, but if you're aware of it, you could be the person that saved somebody that day.
100%. And uh, thanks to you and Kay Floyd, Senator Kay Floyd is great, um, and all the people involved, um, at least now Oklahoman students, you know, I think the fact that they also teach the students about it probably does miracles for kids feeling hopefully less ashamed to bring it up and discuss it and less alone. Um, I would love to see it younger than seventh grade though. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I was talking about how sometimes you're notified when you become the person that knows about suicide, you're notified when all of these deaths happen. You know, I've heard of kids as young as 10 in the state multiple times. Um, I would like to say that's a one-off, but it's not. We've got nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds that it's happening to here in Oklahoma. So to wait until seventh grade to introduce that topic, and I know a lot of parents will say, I want to be the one that introduces it. I don't want it something so intimate um, to be introduced to the school system. Okay, be the one that has that conversation. I am telling you, have that conversation with your child about bullying, about being kind, about being honest if they see something that doesn't feel right. Kids have an intuitive gut. Mm -hmm. They know if something's not right, but I don't think they feel like it's something they can talk about. Um, so, if there's therapists out there, there's AFSP who can talk about um, how to start these conversations and how to have these conversations. There's resources out there that can be linked to. Um, I never have a problem sharing resources with people. Um, so what could organizations like Autism Foundation of Oklahoma or any organizations, like how can we help to educate others? I think it's just knowing your demographics, knowing your families that you serve, um, sharing with them the signs, things to look for, um, and, and educating them, um, and promoting kindness campaigns, and diversity campaigns, and, um, you know, we have the power to, to take back kind. Um, and when you know the, the signs to look for, those signs mirror and mimic a lot of other things. You know, somebody's having a bad day. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're suicidal, but have they had repetitive bad days? Have they just had a divorce in the family? Are they having money struggles? Did they get a really bad grade in college? That might mean that, you know, they're, they're here as a visiting international student and might mean that they're going to be sent back to their home country. It's knowing your people, um, opening those lines of communication and, and being a friend for someone. Um, I think those are the important things. I, I, um, <clears throat> I completely agree. Um, I am so grateful um, that you shared your story and you uh, talked about your son and his life and also all the uh, ways that he's uh, is still here. I, I don't know the proper adjective for it, but I think it's really um, beautiful that uh, he still exists physically within um, so many other people. Um, uh, I don't, 
I don't know what the right thing to say is, but I'm very grateful that you shared your story and um, that you are doing the work you're doing. Before we go, would you mind telling us a little bit more about uh, the organization you're a part of? Well, um, after Evan passed away, my husband and I founded Evan's Promise. You can find it at evanspromise.org. And it is specifically for suicide loss survivors. Um, Prevention doesn't always work for everybody, and we are a family that knows that. So there is statistics that will say that family members that have lost somebody to suicide are at a higher rate of suicide themselves. Okay. So that's where we try to look in and plug the prevention piece. We are there to support other families through the shared lived experience, to provide them resources, um, what you do immediately after the death, how you handle a funeral situation. Our ultimate goal with Evan's Promise is to create a retreat that is free for families and friends that have been involved in this. And there's mental health providers there, there's spiritual workers there, there's you know massage therapists yeah. there, there's a place for siblings. Um, Evan, one of our favorite trips was to always go to Branson or to go to the mountains. and. And so that's kind of our vision is to start a place like that. And we want to call it the kindness because it sounds kind of like the kindest. Yeah. And so that's what we work on. We, we work on the aftercare piece. And then I also do some stuff for um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So I, I work with them also. Um, and that's it. And the Evan's promise came to be because after Evan passed away, we were looking through some of his writings and we found something and he said, oh, I'm not gonna call this a manifesto. I'm instead, you know, it's gonna be a journal. And he talked about um, who, is, who is the person that's gonna change the world? Who is the Malali of our generation? Who is the Mahatma Gandhi? Who is the um, Martin Luther King Jr. of our generation? And he said, I promise you, Go into the bathroom, open the door, look in the mirror, and it's you. And um, you have the power to change the world. And that's why we call it Evan's Promise, because we want to keep that promise that everybody has the capacity to do something, to be kind or to change, change the world as we see it now, whether it be social media or bullying or um, let's lower the suicide rates, whatever it be. We all have the power. It's taking action on it. Lord, that is beautiful. Uh, that it, was Evan. That, yeah. was, that was all his, that was his words, not mine. And how, you, you spoke a few times about like what an old soul mm -hmm. he was. And it's like, that really, gosh, like really what an old yeah. soul. I feel like he must have lived so many lives yeah. before this one that he had to be able to just like understand that concept at 18 years old, yeah. you know? Um, that's really beautiful. And I met with a spiritual worker after he passed and she told me that we had been connected in multiple lifetimes together and that this was, you know, he left early so I could have this lifetime, whereas in the past I had given him his opportunity to have his lifetime. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a mom feel good when she leaves and that's why this person said that. But the more I sit and enumerate with it, the more I think that that's really maybe true. Um, doesn't mean I wanted him to leave early by any stretch of the means, yeah. but it does give some, um, just kind of gives some understanding of maybe that he is still here and that he's 
allowing me to work with them still and still spread his message of hope and love and kindness. And honestly, you couldn't ask for a better message. Yeah. Um, I uh, greatly appreciate you, Thank you taking the time and sharing Evan's promise and your story and illuminating, um, shedding light on hard topics like this and for reiterating to people that a simple act of kindness can go a long way and that if you are needing help or you know someone who needs help. There are so many resources, 988. Mm -hmm. Literally, you just pick up the phone and dial 988 and it'll connect you to someone that can help you with whatever it is you need. And um, I look forward to um, talking to you again in the future. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking the hard questions and thank you for listening and thank you for bringing up the conversation. It's one that needs to be had and needs to continue to be had. Yeah. Um, you can find all of the information to uh, Evan's Promise, and I am forgetting the acronym. For AFSP? The AFSP, uh, linked in the description to this episode. Um, so until next time, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.